You are listening to Haftarah, the Shir series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavuah and its corresponding Haftarah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week does not only happen to be the double Parsha of Tazriah and Mitzorah, but this Shabbos Be'ezras Hashem will also be Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, which means that neither the Haftarah for Tazriah nor the Haftarah for Mitzorah is actually going to be read this week, but we will be reading the Haftarah for Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. But what that also means is that just as soon as we thought we were out of the woods in terms of mini-marathons at the Haftarah Shir series, here we are in for another ride, as we will devote a Haftarah Shir to the Haftarah for Tazria, one for Mitzorah, and then of course, before the week is over, we'll get one in on the Haftarah, which we'll actually be reading this week, and that is the Haftarah for Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. We had a break from several different Haftarah options um, with Parshas Shmini, um, and that was right after um, a couple of mini-marathons for the Pesach season. And we have another couple of d- sets of double Parshios ahead of us, so we're not quite out of there yet. We're going to have to have a few more marathons, which is not a bad thing. So let's um, start off first with the Haftarah for Parshas Tazria, which by the way, in a certain sense, is actually connected to the Haftarah for Parshas Mitzorah. Just like the double Parsha, we almost have a double Haftarah sort of circumstance because both the Haftaras for Tazria and Mitzorah come to us from Sefer Malachim Beis, which we opened recently for a Haftarah for the second day of Pesach and Galas. Um, earlier than that, the first time we opened it um, was for the Haftarah for Parshas Vayera, the story of Elisha. We opened it up again for the story of the, of Yehoash's uh, tax collection for Parshas Shkalim. And um, again, most recently we saw it for Yoshiahu's reign as king. But now this Haftarah, at least for Parshas Tazriah, takes us to Perak, Dalid, and Hay of Malachim Beis. So it goes from uh, Malachim Beis, Dalid, for Mem Beis, so 442, and it goes all the way till Hay Yates, 5 and 19. So 442 to 519. And we'll talk about the sequel Haftarah Bez Ras Hashem in the next shear for Parshas Mitzorah. Uh, but right now, um, we will discuss this first Haftarah of our mini marathon this week as I dedicate the Shir Li Nishmasimi Rasi Chayrachal Bastavitzvi, Harani Kavars Mishkava, and Hashem Shadhav Naliyah. And let's take a look at our double Parshios and the first of these Haftaros. So while Tazri Mitzorah teach us about various manifestations of Tumah or spiritual impurity, the Tumah that we know gets the most attention in both Sidros, in both Tazria and Mitzorah, is that of the spiritual leprosy known as Tzaras. And Chazal teach us that Tzaras, which can manifest itself on either one's skin or even on one's property, it plagues the person as a divine response to one's sins. In fact, the Gemara in Arachin, Andaf, Tasvavam and Beis lists a bunch of particular Averos that can cause Tsaras, the most well-known of them being that of Lashon Hara, right? slander, gossip. Now, Parshas Tazri and Mitzorah, however, do not discuss any of these behaviors which cause Tsaras. It seems to be a purely diagnostic discussion in the Torah. Not why, but what. What is the Tsaras? When is the Tsaras considered to be impure? How do you deal with it? But again, none of the why in terms of why Tsaras happens. So suppose the spiritual disease would still be extant nowadays. How would one know how to prevent it and exactly which behaviors to avoid? Is there a special spiritual diet for Tsaras prevention? How would we figure it out? 
We might suggest that the simple key to Tzara's prevention would just be to live a life of Torah and always fulfill the Ratzon Hashem, which should be our goal anyway. But of course, no one is perfect in that mission. And secondly, if Tzara's is only triggered by certain kinds of behaviors, that would seem to indicate, perhaps, a special disdain that Hashem has for those particular behaviors which would require stronger concentration. So the question is, how can anyone begin to determine where exactly Tsaras comes from? The only way is to assess the available data, to assess real-life Tsaras victims or Tsaras patients. Right? I mean, when we know of the association, for example, between Tsaras and Lashon Hara, as Moshe Rabbeinu himself was afflicted with Saras after slandering the Bnei Israel at the Sned, the burning bush, back in Sefer Shmos, Parsha Shmos, and when Moshe Rabbeinu's sister Miriam Hanavio was afflicted as well after she slandered him, which we'll be reading about in um, several weeks when we get to Parshas Bahaloscha in Sefer Bamidbar. So the correlation is a strong one, but as was mentioned, Chazal mentioned other causes. Um, between various sinful behaviors, such as bloodshed, false oaths, or even uh, marital immorality, and other such possibilities like negative character traits, like pride or selfishness. So the question is, is there any basis for these other catalysts of Tsaras? And for that, I believe we turn to the Haftaras, because right, there are two major Tsara'as stories in Navi, and both somehow involving Elisha, um, who we spoke about again back in Parshas Vayera for his uh, Haftarah. And as you might expect, one of them is the featured Haftarah for Tazria, the one that we referenced earlier, Malachim Beis, um, which is Dalid, Membeis, all the way to Heyyadas. And the other is for Mitzora, which will go on to the seventh parak, parak Zion Malachim Beis. But for now, let's focus on the Haftarah for Tezria to see exactly what it can teach us about Tzara'as. And before even getting to any discussions relating to Tzara'as, the Haftarah begins with one of Elisha's many miracle stories, in which Elisha miraculously causes a loaf of barley to multiply, and he does that to financially rescue a community during a famine. Then, Daftar tells us about how Elisha cures the Aramean commander, Naaman, from his Tzara'as affliction. So the question here is, who needs part one of the Haftarah? Like, yes, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that Elisha performed a miracle for the people. He performed many similar acts for many others, and some of which we spoke about in previous Haftarah Shirim, or at least one previous Haftarah Shir. But does it really have anything to do with the larger story? if not for the fact that the story was recorded right before the Tzara'as story about Naaman, we would suggest that it most certainly does not have enough relevance to be in the Haftarah to begin with. So why throw it in there just because of its proximity to the Tzara'as story? And the second question is the one we've been wondering until now. How exactly does the larger Haftarah help us understand the Parsha's theme of the spiritual impurity that is Tzara'as? Yes, Tzara'as is only featured a few times in Tanakh, making this piece of Navi a very fair candidate for the Haftarah. However, is this story really about Tzara'as, or is it just coincidental that Naaman happens to have Tzara'as? 
like how, how central is Naaman's Tsaras to the story? What does the story teach us about Saras? Or is it just a shout out to Saras? Do we need that? Right? It's not the only thing in the parsha where we could talk about childbirth, right? Isha Kisazria. So why are we focusing on Saras? And uh, what does the Haftarah teach us about Saras? So obviously we're going to argue that yes, Alicia's miracle work in the beginning of the Haftarah is somehow significant to the larger Haftarah. And that yes, this Haftarah teaches us a great deal about the function of Tsaras. So as long as we're letting the cat out of the bag right now and and revealing our goal, let's let's get there. Right? How, to, how is all of this the case? So as for the story of Alicia and the multiplying barley loaf, we might suggest that the Haftarah is setting the stage to establish Alicia as not just Naaman's curer, but as the hero of society at large. And this role is important because it makes Alicia the appropriate Saras healer for the next story, as his community service, like that of the Kohen, represents the antidote to the antisocial behavior of the individual who was afflicted with Saras. And with that introduction, we can visit Naaman, or really, Naaman visits Alicia. Indeed, the Navi tells us that Naaman has to travel all the way to Elisha's house, where Elisha sends a messenger to instruct him to bathe in the Yardane seven times to cleanse him of his disease. However, Naaman is strikingly infuriated because he was expecting to see the miracle worker himself come outside to do some magic tricks and cure the disease. And in this light, we might suggest that perhaps we needed the earlier miracle story to provide the backdrop for Naaman's anger that the established miracle worker refused to come out himself and miraculously cure him. Needless to say, Naaman didn't approve of the simple prescription. So perhaps we could sympathize. Why did Naaman need to travel all this way to find a prophet and established miracle worker just so that he could be told by a middleman to take a bath? Right? That, that, that should be our question no differently. Why is it that Elisha, not only did not perform any miracles to cure Naaman, but he didn't even come outside to greet the man who traveled so far to see him. We can only imagine the frustration we might feel if Chas one of our loved ones, traveled far out to meet a highly trained medical professional for treatments, or even a Gadol Hador, who wouldn't even assess that patient personally. So the question is, what did Elisha have in mind? So many of them, unfortunately, explain that Elisha designed the whole event as a humbling process for Naaman. He was intentionally trying to get under Naaman's skin, pardon the pun, to hit a nerve and to curb Naaman's arrogance. And why was this necessary? Because apparently that's what it would take to truly cure the tsaras. That is why the Torah itself commands the individual who has tsaras to be isolated from society with his face covered, to humble him. So of course Elisha wasn't going to just entertain Naaman with a miracle and humor Naaman's ego by traveling out to greet him and to uh, and to you know bow down and kiss his feet. And when Naaman was forced to suck in his pride and then patiently and humbly immerse himself, not once but seven times, as he was so instructed, only then was he healed. And not only was Naaman healed, but the Navi tells us that Naaman actually renounced his idolatry. He was no longer serving Vodazara. So this Haftarah ends up telling us a lot about Saras. Indeed, 
The story is less about the disease itself because it is about something far more important which needs to be understood when we read about Saras in our Parsha. And that is about what the Saras affliction not only is and how to identify it as the Chumash delineates for us, but about what Saras implies and how one is to deal with it, to respond to it. That Saras is a statement from Hashem. And therefore, it requires reflection. Right? It's not just a skin disease that can be healed by a bath or by any doctor. You can't just surgically remove it. It's healed by humility and character development. We should all be to truly work on developing our spiritual characters, ultimately mature, and Hashem should help us reach the ultimate state of purity once again with the coming of the Gula, and of course, if you enjoy this year and others like it on the podcast, you want to partner with us with the sponsorship. Or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, we want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group where you will find links to every uploaded share and links to share them that I repost due to their relevance. Then all you have to do is reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. That's the data then base, B E I S at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here at the database.